Jeff Carson be in Psalm 119. Jeff is an elder and an MC leader here, and he will be preaching to us not from the whole of Psalm 119. I know some of you just got a little nervous when I said that. It's long. We're only doing verses 1 through 32. So if you would please stand as I read Psalm 119, verses 1 through 32. Blessed are those whose name is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches." I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I might behold wondrous things out of your law. I'm a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Jeff, if you want to come up and I'll pray for you. God, thank you for... um, a space to meet, time to worship. Um, We thank you for Jeff and the time that he was able to spend preparing. We ask that the words that you have prepared through him would help us to um, be consumed with longing for your rules and to um, just have a desire to keep your word um, and to be moved to uh, glorifying you, Lord. We ask that you would use this time, um, that you would soften our hearts and Uh, Help us grow in our love for you and one another. In your name, amen. Good morning. I want to start with uh, a little get-to-know-your-pastor moment this morning. Um, I like to eat breakfast. I really like breakfast foods. Some fans. Uh, Growing up, I ate cereal pretty much every weekday, you know, pretty normal fare. But every Saturday morning at 7 a.m., it was homemade biscuits, scrambled eggs, and bacon. Every Sunday morning at 7 a.m., it was homemade waffles 
and sausage, almost without fail, we were a family of routine. We're not as rigid in our routines, you know, in this, in our iteration, our generation of the Carson family, uh, but still love to make and eat breakfast foods. And the thing about preparing good food is that it's a, it's a whole body experience. It, it engages all the senses, right? You know, the smell of onion and garlic and pepper sautéing in the pan for omelets, um, the sound of bacon frying in the pan, the, the texture of perfectly scrambled eggs. And pro tip, just turn the heat off before they're all the way done. They'll finish cooking and they'll be great. Seeing all the layers of artfully rolled cinnamon rolls and the taste of homemade biscuits and gravy. I mean, all of it, it's incredible. And there's such variety of breakfast foods that you could eat breakfast foods for every meal of the day and have something totally different each time. But I fear for some of you, and I, I hear rumblings, you know, some of you don't enjoy breakfast, and I don't get it. <laughs> some of you have been blinded to the wonder of breakfast, even breakfast for lunch. Some of you are content with not even including breakfast foods for dinner in your normal meal rhythms, and I want to exhort you to not miss out on breakfast as an all-day, all-of-your-senses food option. So I really like breakfast, and now I'm going to conclude the get-to-know-your-pastor moment and make a, a gentle turn here. God made us to live wholeheartedly, to experience His goodness with our whole beings. And we experience and we enjoy his goodness in things like good food and drink, good food, good breakfast food, in the company of good friends and family, in a brilliant sunrise or a brilliant sunset, in the stillness after a fresh snow, in the smell of a gentle spring rain. But more than and before than all of that, God has given us his word as the means of knowing and enjoying Him. And not just once a week when we gather corporately on Sundays or when we gather with our missional communities. He's given us His Word for all of life, in every circumstance, and in every season. But so often we are content with not seeking God wholeheartedly through His Word. We're dangerously content to remain unmoved by the Word of God, content to just kind of keep it on our shelves and remain largely unengaged in it. Today, we have more access to the Word of God than ever before, at least here in the United States. Readily available in more forms than ever before in Christian history, and yet I fear as God's people, we're engaging His Word less and less. I encourage you, read through the Psalm 119 in its entirety this week, and as you do, the effusive language that the psalmist uses to describe the Word of God will be inescapable. Over and over again, the psalmist relates, oh, I long for your commandments. Your law is my delight. I love your testimonies. I cling to them. I stand in awe. I rejoice at your Word. And it's really convicting. Because if I had to write Psalm 119 so that it was true of me, it might read, I, eh, at your word, not impressed with your word all the time. 
I'm content, oh God, to largely ignore it. I want to try to answer this question this morning. How are we as God's people, his children, to engage the word of God? And in case you just, you know, kind of want to go ahead and check out or you want to hit the exits early, I'll go ahead and answer that question for you. As God's people, we engage the word of God with our whole being and in every season. And I want to set the stage and give a little bit of background on this particular psalm before we really get into it. Uh, from a literary perspective, Psalm 119 is one of the most impressive chapters in the Bible. Not only because of its length, right? With 176 verses, it's the longest chapter in all of Scripture. But because of its literary structure, Psalm 119 is an acrostic It's composed of 22 stanzas, one for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and each stanza is comprised of eight lines or eight verses, and each of those eight lines begins with the same corresponding Hebrew letter for that stanza. This is, it's one of those places in in the scriptures where the dynamic um, literary structure of the passage in the original language, like, it just gets lost in our translations, uh, and, and it's hard for us to fully appreciate. But it's, it's, it's an incredible work. The author of Psalm 119 is unnamed. You know, many in church history have attributed it to, to David. Um, some believe this may have been written after the exile of God's people, which would put the writing more in the time of Ezra or, or Nehemiah. Um, regardless, though, we shouldn't get too hung up on who penned the psalm. God didn't include that detail, and so I think we can be content with not knowing on this side of heaven. But Psalm 119 is is all about the Torah, all about the law of God. And he uses, the psalmist uses eight terms to describe God's law throughout. The law, or Torah, the word, laws, statutes or testimonies, commands, decrees, precepts, word or promise. 174 verses out of 176 have one of, at least one of those words in them. Now, it would be overly simplistic for us in the 21st century to substitute our word Bible for each of these eight words as we're reading through Psalm 119. You know, when the psalmist wrote law of the Lord in verse 1, you see that, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord, he didn't have in mind the ESV, Okay? Um, But at the same time, there is good evidence this term, law, was understood early on to mean more than strictly the first five books of the Old Testament. Rather, it was understood as all of God's instruction to his people. This is why the Apostle Paul can write in 1 Corinthians 14.21, in the law it is written, and then go on to quote, not from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy, but from the prophet Isaiah. So Psalm 119 uses these eight terms to speak holistically of God's law, his instruction, his revelation to his people, and how blessed are we that that he has preserved his revelation and instruction for us in the Holy Scriptures, in the Bible. So with that groundwork laid, let's let's get into the passage and and into the rest of the sermon. And in answering the question, how are we as God's people to relate to God's word, I want to offer five points or, or five answers. And the first is this, trust the perfect word of God. 
Here in Karis, we believe Scripture is trustworthy. It's reliable. It's relevant for all time. Our member affirmation states, God has revealed himself in the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, his verbally inspired words. All Scripture is authoritative, infallible, and inerrant, and stands as the only sufficient standard for faith and life. We believe it's true. We regard it differently than any other book or collection of words because it contains words of life. And so we approach the Scriptures with humility, not with an eye to find all the things that we don't like or just naturally don't agree with, but we let it read us. We let it hold up the mirror to our lives and we trust it to define what is true. We submit to the Bible. The Bible does not submit to us. As 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And so when I, when I say trust the perfect word of God, I do mean the written word of God. But if you know your Bibles well, or, or maybe you were here a few years ago when we walked through our sermon series on the Gospel of John, you know that there's the written Word of God and the living Word of God. And what becomes clear in these first verses of Psalm 119 is that we must trust the perfect living Word of God. Look again with me at the first three verses Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. We read of the blessings of keeping God's instructions and God's statutes, and we're confronted right from the start with our inability to live up to the word. I mean, who, who can truly say to the psalmist, yes, my ways are blameless, I seek God with my whole heart. I do no wrong. I only ever walk in his ways. Yes, I agree, psalmist. Who could say that? No one. No one here, at least. But there is one. It's Jesus. Jesus, the living word of God. In the first chapter of John's gospel, we read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, the living Word of God, perfectly fulfills the written word of God. And get this, because of that, the blessedness of his perfect obedience gets credited, it gets transferred to those who are his. Only through Jesus can we realize the blessing promised in Psalm 119, verses 1 through 3. Christian, if you are a Christian here this morning, you are blessed. God sees you as blameless. You are credited with keeping his testimonies, with seeking him with your whole heart, with doing no wrong. Can you believe that? This glorious truth, it sets the stage for the other 173 verses of Psalm 119, and we have to read the rest of the psalm in light of it to see it clearly. Now, look ahead to 
verse 32. It's the last verse that Ben read earlier. Psalm 119, 32. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. If you're looking at a physical copy of God's word, you, you might see a footnote for that verse at the, at the bottom of your page. And it would say, or for you have set my heart free. So we could read verse 32 as, I will run in the way of your commandments, for you have set my heart free. What an incredible picture of the gospel here in the Old Testament. Unless the Lord sets us free from our slavery to sin, we'll never be able to run in the way of his commandments. We'll never be able to obey God unless he gives us a new heart that wants to and is able to. And so right from the start, I want to exhort you, brother and sister, trust the perfect word of God. It's his perfect obedience all the way to the cross that makes a way for you and I to be made right with God and experience the blessing of living in obedience to him. And for those of you this morning who haven't yet trusted in Christ, who are still considering this Jesus, still exploring, I encourage you, trust the perfect living word of God. Incredible freedom and blessing await. Turn from your sin, call out to God, trust Jesus and what he accomplished through his life and death and resurrection and experience his heart-freeing work. Okay, so the first answer to how are we to relate to the word of God is we're to trust. We're to trust the perfect word of God. Second, wage war with the written word. Wage war with the written word. For those keeping score in your seat, it's five out of six words that start with the same letter, all right? It's a strong alliteration game. Wage war with the written word. Now, you might think that sounds violent. Am I, Jeff, am I, are you encouraging violence this morning? Are you going to say that Psalm 119 encourages violence? No. Why then the strong language? It's because Psalm 119 helps us see things as they truly are. As Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Our sinful natures, our enemy Satan, and billions of dollars in advertising and entertainment money every year are working hard to numb and distract you from true reality. That every day is a battle for our souls. If you are a Christian, if you're trusting Christ this morning, like we just saw a few minutes ago, God has set you free from sin and Satan. The perfect obedience of Jesus is credited to you, but that doesn't mean that you have no part to play in that spiritual reality now being worked out in your everyday life. And so here's a question that I think will help you evaluate how blinded or distracted you might be to true reality. How seriously do you take sin and temptation in your life? Do you take sin in your life so seriously you treasure 
and you store up God's word in your heart so that you're ready to battle when temptation comes? Look with me at Psalm 119, verses 9 and 11. How can a young man, a young woman, keep their way pure? By guarding it according to your word. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I'm guessing these are familiar verses for a lot of you. Um, Some of you probably even memorized these verses at some point in time in your life. Maybe like me when I was a kid. But I managed to memorize these verses and miss the heart of them. I treated scripture memory as mainly an activity of the mind. I treated guarding my life against sin mainly as a mental exercise. And I think there were a couple reasons for that. You know, one, I skipped right over the heart of the matter in verse 10. And two, I needed the help of a different translation. Now, I know in some circles it's popular to bash certain translations of scripture and a younger, more arrogant Jeff Carson participated in some of those conversations. I believe biblical translation matters, and it's really important, and some translations are better than others, but I've also come to realize there are better markers of true spiritual maturity than the initials on the spine of your copy of God's Word. You know, like, love for God and love for neighbor, like, really walking in obedience to the Word of God. Something I wish 20-year-old Jeff Carson would have taken more to heart. But if, there's, if there is one place where I really do prefer one or two translations over another, it's here in verse 11. And, and the way that I learned it, the way that I memorized it as a kid, sounded like, I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against God. Or if you're like old school and you would go KJV, Thy word I have hid in my heart, that I might not sin against you. And to me, that just sounds cute, right? I've hidden, I've hidden your word just in here. I'm keeping it safe, you know? I don't want to disturb it. Only if I really need it, which won't be very often because I'm really not that bad, right? But as I grew older... As I got into college and, and started to see God for just more clearly for who he truly is, and I started to see my own sin more clearly too, that it was lurking there in my heart and in my mind, and I was all too often ready to yield to it. And then toward the beginning of my sophomore year at Mizzou, I, I bought a new Bible, and, and it was a New American Standard Version. And, and in the NASB, Psalm 119.11 reads, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. And to me, that doesn't sound cute. That sounds like going on the offensive against sin and temptation. Treasuring God's word landed differently on me than just hiding it. So I was halfway there. Memorizing scripture, it wasn't just a, just a cute mental exercise, just in case I might need it someday. Memorizing scripture was preparing my heart to make war on temptation because that was a battle I had to fight every day. So I was first aided by a different translation of the Bible and second, I I discovered, I rediscovered the verse in between verses 9 and 11. I'm sure it had been there all along. 
But when I was encouraged to memorize verses 9 and 11, it was just verses 9 and 11. And so that's what I did. But when I really saw verse 10 as the link between walking in purity and treasuring God's word, it just brought things in an even greater perspective. Look with me at Psalm 119, verse 10. With my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments. Now you could read, I'm, I'm like, if you know me, I'm just kind of pretty even-keeled, somewhat reserved. I, not many things rile, rile me up. Um, and so you could read it kind of in that, just that tone. But there's an exclamation mark at the end of it, right? With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I'm seeking you with all my heart, Lord. Don't let me stray from your commands. Again, that, that, that doesn't sound cute. It sounds gritty. It sounds desperate. Brother, sister, have you ever been desperate in your fight against sin and temptation? This morning, is there a longing in you to walk in his ways, a desperation for God's help and the help of his word so you don't make shipwreck of your faith or so you don't grow content to just coast through the rest of life with a shallow, half-hearted devotion to God? In the ESV, which we read initially, verse 11 reads, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Do you know what it takes to store up something? It takes effort. Whether you're storing up, you know, a little bit of money month by month so that you have something for when an emergency happens, or if you're a farmer, you're storing up grain for the coming winter, storing up takes work. We know that to be true in other areas of our life. Why would we expect, to be, expect it to be different in our spiritual lives? Storing up the Word of God, treasuring it so much that it's stuck in your mind and your heart, it takes work, but it's worth it. It's worth it in your pursuit of holiness in life. And it's worth it because you know that as you store up more and more of God's Word, you're actually experiencing more and more of God Himself. And so, brothers and sisters, what's, what's the last verse of the last passage of scripture that you've stored up, that you've treasured in your heart. It's been long enough that you can't remember. Let me encourage you to start this week with Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. Please don't skip verse 10. So how are we to relate to the word of God? We wage war with the written word. A third, engage the word with your whole being. As I was just kind of, you know, meditating on this passage the last several weeks, it struck me how there's a direct correlation between the way we're to love God and the way we're to engage his word. Track with me here. You remember uh, the story in Matthew 22 when a lawyer comes up to Jesus to test him. This, is, this will be on the screen. This is in Matthew 22, 35 through 38. And he says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Now, Jesus wasn't saying here, Hey, only love me with all of your heart, soul, and mind, as in, like, 
He's not really concerned that we would love him with our eyes and the things that we look at or our ears and the things that we hear and listen to or our feet and the places that we go. No, when Jesus says to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, with all of your strength, he's communicating we're to love God with our whole beings. Now, as we look back at Psalm 119, Notice all of the body language the psalmist uses. I'm just going to run through these verses here. We saw in Psalm 119.11, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, verse 13, with my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In verse 15, I will meditate, which is an activity of the mind, right? I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Verse 20, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. In verse 32, I will run. It's an activity of the feet in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Just like we're to love God, the living word, with our whole beings, we're to engage his written word with our whole beings as well. So what what does that look like to engage scripture with our whole beings? Well, We read it with our eyes. We fix our eyes on it. We listen to it. We think about it. We meditate on it with our minds. We treasure it in our hearts. We esteem and prefer it. We give it preference over other things in our lives. We find that it's naturally on our lips. We stay in it long enough for our souls to be thrilled with who God is and what he's done. We consider how what we're reading and hearing is supposed to work its way out through our hands and our feet in obedience, and then we set about to make it happen in the power of the Spirit. So how are we to relate to the Word of God? We engage it with our whole beings. Fourth, engage the Word in every circumstance and every mood. Our series through the Psalms is entitled Songs for All Seasons. The Psalms were given to God's people to be read and sung in corporate and private worship, and they're relevant to every season of life, every circumstance, every mood. And because of this, God both invites us to engage Him in all of it, and He reminds us that He's with us in all of it. Just, I mean, just listen to just kind of this short sampling um, from Psalm 119, you know, are, are you struggling with sin? Are you in a, a season where you're really struggling with particular sin? God's here for that. We've already seen that in, in verses 9 through 11. Do you feel afflicted by sickness or, or a painful relationship or people who are acting in evil ways toward you? His word's here for that too. Psalm 119, verse 92 If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Have you been scorned or plotted against? Psalm 119, verses 22 and 23. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Are you crushed with sorrow right now? Psalm 119, 28. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. God's word is for sleepless nights. 
Psalm 119, verse 148. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. It's for when you don't know the, the next right thing to do. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's for the days when loving God and his word, just, it comes easy, right? Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And it's for the days when rejoicing feels hard. Psalm 119, verse 25, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life, revive me according to your word. It's for when you're struggling to understand the word or struggling to see anything in it that lifts your heart. Psalm 119, verse 73, your words have, your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. And it's for when you don't have any desire for the word of God at all, and your heart is inclined toward other things. Psalm 119, verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. And this isn't even an exhaustive list from just Psalm 119. And then there's still the other 149 psalms, and then the other 65 books of the Old and New Testaments. No matter like what circumstance or season we're going through or how we're feeling about it, God is here for us and his word is relevant. Search the scriptures, pour over them and pray them back to God. I mean, are there prayers that God stands more ready to answer than when his children call out to him with his very word? So how are we to relate to the word of God? We're to engage it in every circumstance and in every mood. And lastly, fifth, seek the Lord wholeheartedly. Obey the word. I want to draw your attention to verse two again. Look at this with me and see if you can catch the connection between seeking the Lord and obedience. This is Psalm 119, verse 2. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. There is a way that you can read and study the Bible apart from seeking the Lord who authored it. Secular scholars do this all the time. But you can't seek the Lord wholeheartedly apart from the Bible apart from the scriptures. To seek the Lord is to seek his testimonies and his commands. You know what it looks like to seek the Lord with your whole heart? It looks like obeying his commands. You can't do one without the other. To seek the Lord is to obey, and to obey is to seek the Lord. God has given us his word to be treasured. He's given us his word to be obeyed. And the simple biblical pattern, just let this just kind of wash over you and, and call it to mind over and over again. God speaks, we respond. God speaks, we respond. O Chorus, may we make verses 4 and 5 of Psalm 119 our prayer at the start of this new year. God, you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Let it be, Lord, let it be. As I draw to a close, I want to address one 
really practical aspect of how we're to engage God through his word, something that can often be a hurdle for us, and it's time. Time. Now, in one sense, time is rarely a genuine hurdle for us in engaging God, right? If you're an iPhone user, that notification you receive every week, I I don't know if everybody gets them on Sunday mornings, every Sunday morning, it pops up on my phone and tells me, on average, you spent this much time on your phone every day for the last seven days. It gives plenty of evidence that we have more discretionary time than we might think. And just as like a real quick aside, like on multiple levels, like grab like the first moments of your day are so precious. Starting like just kind of setting the trajectory for your day. And on multiple levels, grabbing your phone and scrolling through notifications or emails or social media, like the moment you wake up, it's truly not helping you become the person that you really want to become. So how long, right? How much time am I supposed to spend in the Word of God every day? I've talked about engaging God in His Word with our whole beings and in every season, which it sounds pretty consuming, right? And and that can sound kind of daunting, maybe intimidating. But regarding time, I don't think the Lord is after a particular number of minutes for us to be engaging the Word. As cliche as it sounds, He's really after our hearts. If you felt condemnation in the past because of failed attempts at keeping up with a Bible reading plan, let me suggest this. Don't make the focus a box to check off on a reading list. Make the focus and the goal connecting with the living Word of God in the written Word of God. How long will that take? I don't know. It will be different for all of us, and it will be different day to day. And it will change in different seasons of our lives. It, it, it seems like every time that I, that I have kind of a routine figured out, something happens in our family that just kind of I have to adjust, right? And there are going to be seasons in your life where you can devote more time than others. And in those seasons, man, do it. Go for it. But if you fail at checking off all of the reading boxes, but succeed at truly engaging and meeting with the Lord through His Word, Have you really failed? I don't think so. If knowing where to start seems overwhelming, just the the mental and emotional energy required to like figure out, okay, I'm supposed to read the Bible, what's what's my plan gonna be, how am I gonna do it? I I like I get that. But let me just suggest this. Pick up a copy of the field guide on your way out today. It's free. We want everyone to have one, be able to use it. It's simply a guide to help you spend meaningful time with the Lord each day. It even has resources in the back to help you engage the Word with others, whether in your missional community or in a DNA group or around the dinner table. We need each other's help to engage God and His Word wholeheartedly. It's, it's okay to start small, but start somewhere. Pick a time of the day Pick a, pick a place somewhere in your home. Pick something to read and, and get into it, 
right? Don't dismiss the cumulative effect of regular, precious minutes with God every day. Even, listen, even 10 minutes a day adds up to five hours a month. Jump that up to 20 minutes a day, and you're going to spend 120 hours in a year of meaningful time with God. That's three whole work weeks. Can you imagine the cumulative effect that that kind of time will have on your, on your heart and on your mind and your soul? Can you imagine the cumulative effect that kind of time will have in our church family corporately? Can you imagine the cumulative impact that kind of time could make as the Word of God makes its way through our hands and our feet and our mouths in this community? As God's people, Carus, let's engage the Word of God with our whole beings and in every season. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the perfect living word of God. We thank you for preserving your testimonies and your law and your commands and your words for us in the Bible. God, more and more, make us people who long for you, who delight in you, and who desire to spend time with you, to get to know you through your word. Make us people of the word. I pray, Father, that in these moments that you would bring just incredible encouragement to our hearts where we need to be encouraged to love you, to engage your word with our whole beings. God, bring in your kindness conviction where our lives don't look like the lives that you've called us to, the lives that you've commanded us to in your word. Holy Spirit, lead us. We love you and we pray it in Jesus' name.